You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Round two is no joke. This is where we separate the pretenders from the contenders. Get some skin in the game of DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. They are offering free play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes each day. The best part of it is that it's free to play. Yep, that's right, free. DraftKings free to play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball game and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time. Only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Welcome to June. Welcome to the latest episode of the Ruler of the Court podcast. You know who I am. I'm Jason Jones. I cover the Sacramento Kings for The Athletic. I talk a lot of crazy shit on social media just to have fun. No, nothing like get me fired or crazy. Just have a little fun. And again, welcome to the Ruler of the Court podcast where I'm supposed to talk about the Kings. But as anyone who follows basketball at all knows, the Kings aren't in the playoffs. So it's forced me to be a little more creative, try some different things this offseason, come up with some different ideas of things we can look at, talk about when it comes to the Kings. And one thing I have been doing is kind of going through, watching a bunch of playoff games, and kind of just picking out, sorting out what former Kings are doing, and then not just what they're doing now, but kind of looking back at their time in Sacramento and trying to figure out basically what went right, what went wrong, and why they weren't able to help the Kings in their now 15-year playoff drought. 
and as we all know, but I'll remind you anyway, that 15 years ties the uh, Clippers franchise for the most consecutive years out of the postseason in NBA history. So basically what that basically it tells you is that, hell, you got to be pretty damn bad or pretty damn unlucky to go 15 years and not be one of the top 16 teams in a 30-team league. Or if you go back further, it wasn't 30 teams, it was well, 26 or whatever. Either way, that's a long time to go and not once you just kind of get lucky and stumble into the top 6, top 8, or whatever the case may be. So, who are we going to talk about today? Hmm, uh, a bunch of Kings, ex-Kings playing. I'm going to start with one of my favorites from his time with the Kings. It's a guy I like talking to a lot. And that would be uh, Rajon Rondo. Definitely one of my favorites. Uh, spent one season in Sacramento. Statistically, it, was kind of, it, was, you know, it wasn't a bad year. Rondo led the league in assists that year at 11.7. Um, piled up a bunch of triple doubles, but that season was ill-fated for a few reasons. Uh, well, let me just talk about Rondo on the court first. Uh, that was the season where you, Rondo's playing for George Carl, and essentially George Carl has told Rondo, this is your show, run it. Do what you got to do. You know, this is your team. You're going to have a lot of communication with me about what's going on on the court. And I'll get back to that whole communication thing with George later. But Rondo shoots three more. And at this point, remember, this is what, uh, five, you know, uh, six years, five, six years ago. This wasn't a time where people were expecting to see Rondo shoot, you know, really shoot the three. But that was something that George Carl wanted to see from him. Rondo had a great relationship with DeMarcus Cousins. And that was a big, a big reason why you look at his, you know, his time with the Kings, why he was uh, so popular at that point. Just, I mean, at least with DeMarcus for sure. You know, you got a point guard who will keep feeding you the rock. Of course, you're going to like that guy. And so, you know, you had, um, he comes, he's one of the bigger free agents at the time the Kings had signed. Uh, averaged 11.9 points, 11.7 assists. And that year, shot 36.5% from three. Which at the time was his, was a career high for him. He topped it the next year with the Bulls, but uh, then he, you know, then his short time with the Clippers, he, you know, he became a better shooter over the last couple of years. You know, he's shooting pretty well this season between Atlanta and the Clippers from three. But he really kind of broke out, not broke out, but he had a decent, you know, a decent shooting year from three for him and the team and. Right now, he's currently, you know, coming off the bench, being what he was for the Lakers, now for the Clippers, a guy who can organize you, get you in the right stuff. It's kind of a, the floor general we all kind of know him to be or have known him to be. But back to his time in Sacramento. You know, he was brought in at a time when the Kings also had another point guard in Darren Collison on the team, and that put Darren on the bench. It was kind of a tricky thing because... That that was uh, the signing of uh, Rondo was the first uh, off season under Vlade Divac, and Vlade didn't sign Darren Collison. That was under Pete D'Alessandro. So Vlade goes out and gets his own point guard, and he goes get he goes and gets Rondo. 
And like I said, Rondo put up numbers, but the team still wasn't winning games. And that all on Rondo? No. But, but uh, this team, though, I think of all the teams in the past who usually had the chance to make the playoffs, this team had probably the best chance. I would say the 2016-17 uh, team did as well, but of course they traded DeMarcus, you no, know, the All-Star all game. But what happened with this team was, honestly, it just really felt like you look back, that team just really didn't like the coach, and it showed in some of the things they did. Just the way they played, the way they responded to him, and I'll take you back to uh, around January, sometime before the All-Star break, and... We're, uh, we're on a road trip. We're in Boston. So it's obviously a big deal for Rondo to be back. Rondo's back where he won a championship, where he's been an all-star. You know, so we're at practice. And I believe practice was at Harvard, on the campus of Harvard, I believe. Or uh, maybe, I forget, you know, but <clears throat> I forget exactly where. But, you know, we're on a college campus, I know, for practice. Uh, well, no, it wasn't Harvard. That was a different season. But, yeah, we're on a college campus. And... There's a ton of Boston media there asking questions of Rondo. About Rondo. You know, because at that point, he's not that far removed from his time with the Celtics. It's actually only his uh, second season, his, his first full season away from Boston. Remember, he had 2014-15, he had been traded to Dallas, and then Dallas was done with him after that season. That whole you know, thing with... Uh, Rick Carlisle just never worked. So you know, we're back. Rondo's still a big deal. And George Carl said something to the media about Rondo that just kind of sent things going the wrong way. Um, and I mentioned about the communication with George and Rondo. George was big on like letting the, that he talked to Rondo on a regular basis. You know, he you know they talked every game day. That's what they did. That was their thing. And so George is relaying that to the Boston media. You know, and me. I'm the only traveling beat writer from, from Sacramento. And he's relaying, you know, kind of that. And then I don't think George meant it this way, possibly, but it came out this It came out sounding kind of, you know, crazy. Because George is talking about all these conversations with Rondo, so on and so forth. And he says, you know what, essentially, sometimes he's talking so much, I wish he would just shut up. Yeah, so as you might imagine, that uh, clip exchange, however you want to put it, made its round through the locker room. And play the next day, the Kings play the Celtics. Uh, Kings lose, and after the game, of course, there's going to be more attention around Rondo. But one of the other players kind of grabs me and says, "Hey, Jay, come here. Uh, did George really say that about Rondo?" I said, what? The part about he wishes he would shut up? I go, yeah. You know, he goes, and the player says to me, quote, I can't believe that, and that motherfucker actually defends George. He's the only one here who defends him. And so that kind of sent us into a very negative direction with the team going into Cleveland. Mind you, Cleveland, you know, they with the second of back to you know, generally teams don't practice on the, you know, don't have a shoot around in the second of back to backs. And George was big on voluntary shoot around, voluntary practice. That was just his thing. You know, he wasn't going to overwork guys. This is what he did. 
right, wrong, or different. That's what George's thing was. But, so, that was one of the days that they were in Cleveland. This is, you know, because it's 2016. This is the year Cleveland's going to go on to win a championship. But the, the, the Kings are out there, get run, run over by LeBron and crew. They're just, you know, get beat down. And after the game... Uh, there's a lot of uh, angst in the locker room, and it's kind of give you a picture. Uh, Cleveland's locker room, visitors' locker room, it's kind of like a long hallway. In, in a way, it's, you know, it's not very big. And Demarcus Cousins is sitting in the, like, in, in the kind of at the front, the first stall near the door. And at that night, he only decides he wants to talk to me. So I talk to him about what's going on. Clearly, he's frustrated. And then I turn around, and Rondo waves me over. Like, with his finger, like, hey, come here, I got something I need to say. And Rondo proceeds to essentially this unload on George and says, how are we ever going to get better with voluntary practices and voluntary shoot-arounds? <laughs> Ooh. So, at that point, I'm checking my phone, I'm checking messages, I'm getting people telling me they've been told George is going to get fired. George is definitely going to get fired. And if you're looking for one of the reasons why, that rift right there between he and Rondo was going to really uh, just, just ruin the chemistry in that locker room. Not between the players, but between George and the players. Now, some of those players were already done with George before that, but still. It was not going to be a good situation in that locker room. And so I write the story. I tweet some quotes that Rondo says. Then I get players replying to me, like Ron Butler, Quincy Acey, telling, hey, 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 that ain't really what's happening. You know, you know, it wasn't voluntary. I think Rondo said when you only got five or six guys there, it was like semantics. It wasn't five or six, it was like seven or eight, whatever the case may be. The fact is, no one liked George at that point. And from that point on, the season just kind of went, you know, where, you know, I'm writing that George is going to get fired. National outlets are writing that George is probably going to get fired. And then it comes out, George ain't getting fired. <laughs> George is not getting fired. And I think from that point on, Rondo's season, the Kings season, was pretty much over. Because those guys did not like George. I didn't get the feeling George liked them not that much. George definitely didn't feel supported by the organization. I mean, Vladi didn't hire him. And, you know, he's got, and from George's point of view, he's got a rookie GM trying to navigate this thing, and the guy doesn't know what he's doing. And he didn't, I mean, nothing were his words, but you can, you know, George kind of felt like, hey, he could have a little more say, a little more input, and he didn't feel supported, definitely. That goes back to uh, a, conf a verbal confrontation he had with DeMarcus Cousins earlier in the year. George wanted to suspend DeMarcus. Vlade said he couldn't suspend him. So there was tension all up and down that season. But it culminates with Rondo pretty much telling me we're always going to suck if we're, we, our coaches out here having voluntary practices. And so from there, the team at that point was still, in, you know, still had a chance to at least get to the A spot. And I think if they stayed together and focused, would have got to the A spot. Didn't happen. Team missed the playoffs. Team ends up trying to tank to keep its, its draft pick, which led to probably, I don't know if you want to call it Rondo. It wasn't really Rondo's last middle finger, but more the organization's last middle finger to George. Uh, Kings are ending the season with a two-game road trip. One stop in Denver, one stop in Houston, the last two games of the year. Uh, we go to Denver, and... 
Rondo and DeMarcus aren't on the trip. And from what I'm told at that time, here's how cold-blooded the organization was to George. They didn't even tell George that <laughs> they that DeMarcus and Rondo weren't going to be on the trip. Well, obviously, you know, they weren't he wasn't even told. The head coach did not know that two of his best players were not going to be on the trip. And obviously that was done because the Kings are trying to keep their pick in the top 10. So they're trying, at that point, they're not going to make the playoffs. They just want to lose. So but that, you know, so that was kind of like the, you know, Rondo, you know Rondo's last goodbye. And then we go to Houston. Um, a bunch of the other vets are like, why the hell are we playing? So Rudy Gay doesn't play. Karam Butler doesn't, you know. By the end of the game, I think George had five or six guys left because Eric Moreland, like, sprained his ankle during that game. So, yeah. That was... Rajon Rondo's one season in Sacramento. He still remains one of my the favorite guys I've ever covered, though. You know, one of the brightest guys. Just a great guy to have a conversation with, really. I mean, just cool to talk to. You know, I you know I was I was kind of warned before he arrived in Sacramento that you know maybe he's going to be difficult. People were like, you know, are you how are you going to deal with this guy? None of that stuff proved to be true with me. I got along great with Rondo. Every time I see him, we still speak. You know, I'm, you know, even though I'm not a Clipper fan, I love seeing Rondo have success. Because, <laughs> you know, he's one of my guys. And it's just good to see him out there playing, contributing, and still doing what he does. You know, help the Lakers win a championship. You know, very well may help the Clippers win one. And DeMarcus Cousins is also on that Clipper team right now. I'm just happy to see a big fella healthy. No, he's not really in, in the playoff rotation for the Clippers, but you know if he can just make, you know making it through a season healthy, I believe that Demarcus will bounce back and be on the team next season contributing. You know, who knows how he'll be? You know, hopefully he'll be feel even better given he will have had. You know, he'll be at that point. We're looking at uh, two years removed from the ACL. Uh, three years removed from the Achilles, you know, 2019 or 2019, he tore his quad. I mean, you know, DeMarcus has had a rough goal of it with injuries. So, I'm hoping that he can, you know, kind of stay together, you know, you know, continue to come out this season healthy and see, you know, because I think that these two guys, DeMarcus and Rondo, ever since that Sacramento year, <laughs> they, they, they traveled together. They were teammates in New Orleans. They ended up being teammates again with the Lakers. And now the Clippers. So, I guess, you know, maybe wherever DeMarcus ends up, maybe that's where Rondo will be as well. <laughs> so, that's the story time when it comes to, uh, at least that former king. And I was, I'm debating. Do I want to give another king or do I save some of this for later on? I mean, I probably should have saved, uh, probably should have saved Rondo for later because there's a much better chance they'll still be playing, but... What the hell? Let's, you know, dive into one former king, one more. So it gives me a chance to tell you guys more stories about <laughs> the behind-the-scenes stuff with this team. And let's talk about Willie Cauley-Stein, who is a, a backup now for Dallas. And I'll begin by saying just perhaps the fact that Willie's still not a starter on another team. Maybe the Kings got lucky in that they didn't pay him. 
you know, a big money to stay and that, you know, his agent went to the media, not me, was some of the story, but he went to the media and complained about they got to let Willie out. Then Willie gets, you know, to, you know, but, you know a two-year minimum deal. And, I mean, it didn't completely work out for the Kings all the way because the Kings turned around and then took what could have been Willie's money and paid Dwayne Dedman four years uh, up to, in a three-year deal up to about 41 and 41 about 41 million dollars end up trading him before the all-star break so that didn't actually work out well but you know willie was his his uh, four seasons in sacramento were interesting they started in that first george carl season and it was just a weird thing because the kings had demarcus cousins they drafted willie and then they signed costa kufas so you have an all-star center you then draft Willie to be a center, and it kind of, it's kind of apparent you can't play Willie and Demarcus together. So what are you doing with Willie? And then on so and then on top of that, you go ahead and sign Costa Kufas. So you're trying to win now, but so you know, but you also have a lottery pick center who you say you brought in to help fix your defense. Uh, the Kings have been pretty shitty on defense for the last forever decade and a half, so that didn't really work. But you know, you tried, but what happened with Willie, you know, some of it goes on him in terms of his inconsistent play. You, you know, you know, people question, was he taking the game seriously? But then again, I'm also going to put some of this on the organization and with how Willie was, Willie's situation went. Uh, clearly, having George Carl the coach his first year did not help Willie at all. George was notoriously notorious for not liking to play rookies. You know, George is an old school coach and an old school it didn't matter if you were the first pick, second pick, or the 30th pick. Rookies had to earn their way on the court. Part of that was, too, back then, rookies signed longer-term deals. You didn't have to make a decision on a guy after two years that you want to pick up his option. Rookies are signing six, seven-year deals. So, hey, you could, you could kind of just wait around on a rookie and say, you know, well, we'll, we'll do whatever. You know, and you know, he also had, you know, like I said, some other vets he could use. So, basically, Willie hated playing for George. <laughs> he said George just told him to go stand in the corner <laughs> and get out the way and Willie had all this game he wanted to show off especially on offense he wanted to show everyone that like the other Kentucky guys you know guys like Cat guys like DeMarcus that once he got out there on the floor he you know he could go out there and do the damn thing with the rocks show off his handles and this would of course drive fans Crazy. They're like, what the hell is Willie Cauley Stein doing? Trying to show off his handles. But I wrote about this too, but I'm going to remind y'all part of what's, what's been wrong with the Kings in terms of development. After Willie's rookie year, he gets with Peja Stojakovic, who's you know, a player development executive. But Willie tells the story of how, you know, Peja basically tells him he could to work on his three point shot. Yeah, that's right. Told him to work on his three point shot. And I actually asked Paige about it later. He was like, it wasn't exactly that. You know, he said, you know, Willie's you know, a different type of learner, that type of thing. You know, he's trying to work with him, trying to get him motivated. But for a guy who had been labeled a defensive player, who had been said, you know, best case scenario could be another Tyson Chandler. For, for, you know, Willie thought that was an insult. He's like, I got way more offensive game than Tyson Chandler ever did. You know, so what does Willie do when he, hear, when he hears Paige talking about, you know, shooting and all that? course he gravitates toward the offense he wants to show he can score he wants to show all that and it just never worked because 
That's not what the Kings wanted him to be. They didn't want him to be running plays for him. They wanted him to be a rim runner, a rebounder, a defender, a shot blocker. And that just never came to fruition. So the last couple of years, you know, Willie's been on two different teams. He's, he signed with Golden State. 2019, got traded to Dallas. He's been Dallas again this season, coming off the bench uh, for the Mavs. And... Still a guy that I like, you know, I enjoyed covering, like dealing with, would, you know, have no problem seeing him have success away from Sacramento. But, yeah, just another example of just somehow sometimes things can get really weird with the Kings. And as much as you want, people want to kill Willie for just being Willie, you know, did he care enough? You know, did he try hard enough? All that type of stuff. You know, what do you expect a young player to do when he's he's dying to show that he can score on offense? And you tell him, hey, f focus on your offense. What do you expect him to do? Of course he's going to focus on offense and not care about defense. Because, shoot, guys know offense gets you paid. And he was trying to get paid. Didn't quite happen the way, it, you know, you know, the way it should have happened. But... Hey, so, but, you know, the fact is, Willie is in the playoffs, uh, you know, and, hey, nothing much you can say. So, that's really all my King stuff for this week. Uh, I'm going to slide on over to my favorite part of the show. You know, and that's, you know, of course, the music. And what I did was I listened to that new DMX and, you know, and it's, um, it's kind of one of the things where you say, I hope you, I'm not, you know, you know, it's not like, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's like you, you, you hope that you're listening to it. And that, you no, know, and thinking knew you're not influenced more so knowing that DMX is no longer with us. And, you know, and all that type of stuff. But, but I'm going to go ahead and take you through this new DMX album, Exodus, which I actually very much enjoyed. I think no matter, no matter the circumstance, if it wasn't posthumous, I think I still would enjoy it. So, I'm not going to go track for track, but I'll go through some of my favorite tracks. And... It opens up with, you know, it's kind of hard to gauge. You know, I know a lot of the, I heard some DMX interviews, and a lot of these songs were, it's not like they were already done before he passed. So it's not like you had a random DMX verse sitting around, and then you asked one of his homies to jump on there and, and make it a song. Perhaps there are some songs like that, but I don't know, you know. But I I enjoyed it because I'm gonna start with the first song. That's my dog. You know, it's DMX with the locks. You know, old Rough Riders. You know, <laughs> reunion. I really like this song. I really do. I haven't heard all of the locks. You know, I mean, you you hear Jada, but I hadn't heard the rest. I had heard you know, Sheik and Styles P and Aaron. Felt like quite some time. You know, very good song. I actually I enjoyed this song a lot. And kind of took me back to the late '90s, early 2000s. Just with the flow and the style, and you know, I enjoyed it. Next one, Bath Salts was a uh, Jay Z and Nas. 
it's kind of it's, it's not a new Jay-Z verse, you know. It, his uh, I know I've heard various blogs and podcasts try to guess what year that kind of what era of Jay-Z rapping did that did his verse come from? You know, it sounds very blueprint print 3 era-ish. You know, he may, he mentions the Kardashians, you know, but being the queen of the come up. I mean, so you would think that that's definitely at a time where him and Ye aren't cool. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know when exactly when he would have recorded that, but I mean, it works for this song. It, it definitely works for this song. Uh, next song, Dogs Out with Lil Wayne. This actually might be my favorite. My one of my it might be my I won't say it might be my favorite song on here. It's close to it, and it's a really good Lil Wayne verse. Really good. I really and you know like I said I'm 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 digging this. And you know you know maybe Lil Wayne's having a resurgence himself, and this is going to be part of it. You know, but I really enjoy Dogs Out. I you know you know by the way a lot of these songs say you know and Swiss beats, but you know it ain't like Swiss is like a here drop having bars. He's like he's like on there, but I ain't gonna be you know. Acting like Swiss Beats had, you know, had a whole verse on the song. But, you know, I really, I really like this song. And I think it's probably one of the ones that X was definitely did before he passed. Next up, Money, Money, Money with Money Bag Yo. I like this one, too. I really do like this song. You know, it's not a long song, but I enjoy it. You know, it's, uh, you know, I was actually first heard about Money Bag Yo from former King Zach Randolph. That's one of his homies. He put me on Money Bag Yo. So I, like I said, I like this song as well. So when I'm listening to this, four for four, I'm digging it. I'm digging this. Next up, "Hold Me Down" featuring Alicia Keys. Uh, you know, like your obligatory R&B song. You know, Swiss is producing. Alicia's his wife. Makes sense. Perhaps this is one of those. Uh, you know, who knows when that was recorded, but. You know, I'm like, yeah, that was my first, yeah, on the thing. But it wasn't like it was terrible. It was just kind of like, eh, okay. Next up, Skyscrapers featuring Bono. Um, I know he had mentioned that he had, uh, I listened to the uh, Drink Traps uh, podcast. Um, DMX mentioned that he had Bono on a song. So I'm hoping that this came out the way X would have liked. Obviously, he's not here to, around that, no, for them to go back and redo verses and whatnot. I hope it would have, I enjoyed the song as well. And then this might be my favorite song on the album, actually, right here. Hood Blues, you know, got the Griselda family on there, got West Side Gun, Benny the Butcher, Conway the Machine. This really might be my favorite song on the entire thing. I mean this this shit is this shit goes. I I like this. I'm a big Griselda fan. I'm I'm still like going back listening to all their stuff that I hadn't heard before. You know, before, you know, I kind of caught really caught wind of them real deep last year. You know, you know, so I I really like this. And I know X spoke really highly of, of Griselda in, you know, interviews before he passed. You know, I've said it. I think even he said it may be him or maybe someone else. Griselda really has a real Wu-Tang feel to them. Just a real grimy style. And, of course, X fits in perfectly with that. Then he's got my L the LBC Take Control with Snoop Dogg, you know. My favorite kind of love songs are rap love songs. <laughs> so I like this one. And I think if you're if you're a fan of old school R and B soul music, you're gonna enjoy the sample on this one as well. And the last one, Walking in the Rain. 
I ain't the last one. Take that back. Well, you know, walking in the rain. You no know, song with Nas on there too. You know, and I like this song a lot as well. And walking in the rain has been a hip hop R and B thing for a while. You know, Orange Juice Jones. He he saw you and him. You know, saw her and him walking in the rain. They were holding hands. You know, so Walking in the Rain is a classic music thing, and I enjoy this song as well. And then got you know, another skip. Then you go to Literally My Son, featuring, uh, has Usher on there. And talked about his son and hoping that his son wouldn't use drugs because after seeing him use drugs. And that, I mean, that song, that's the tearjerker, because if you ever saw the Ayanla Fix My Life with his, his son... And essentially how his son was begging him to choose him over drugs. I mean, that was like one of the craziest episodes of that show ever. So, if you can find that somewhere, you might want to check that out. And then if you, when you hear this song, the song very well might mean a little bit more. Have a little more feeling to you. And then they close it out with a, with a, a prayer by DMX. And... Yeah, 13 tracks, a couple of skits in there, so really 11 songs, two skits. Um, I really enjoyed this album. Uh, I definitely recommend you all check it out. Hope I didn't give away too much of it if you haven't heard it already. It just came out last Friday, so good chance that maybe you haven't heard it yet. So, that's all my time for this week, for not this week, this episode. Uh, uh, thanks to the people from the Basketball Podcast Network. Uh... Shout out to everyone, all the listeners. You can check me out on Twitter, Mr. Underscore Jason Jones. Instagram, Mr. Jones LBC. Y'all have a good week. I'll catch up with you later on this week. Maybe we'll revisit more former Kings. Give me a chance to tell you more uh, Kings-related stories. Maybe it'll do something completely different. Uh, we'll see. So you all be good out there. Take care. Nice chatting with y'all. I'm out.